1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, you should see a blue one in the pew or in the chair bottom in front of you. Go ahead and open that one up. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 is where we'll be in just a moment. Chapter 2, verse 18. Verse 18. 1 John toward the very back of the Bible. Almost to the very, very back. Uh, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. It's a letter uh, to a church in crisis. How do we know that we're saved? How can we have confidence that we are in a right relationship with God? John, write us a letter and help us out. We had this, this group that has left us and they say that we're not believers and um, they don't believe Jesus is the Son of God and they're hurling these things at us and we don't know who are we? Are we right with God? Well, how do we know? How do, can we be confident after this group left us and treated us this way? 1 John chapter 2. Seems like we're almost there. Would you bow with me as we pray over this important time together? Father God, um, Father, would you stir in us an awe of your word, an awe of your gospel? Father, we need your help. Father, we need your help to persevere. Father, we need your help to find joy in who you are and who we are in you. Father, we have an enemy that loves to uh, that loves to come to the church and stir in us doubts about who Jesus is, about who we are in Jesus. Father, we have a flesh that is sinful that puts up a fog so often in our lives where we feel it's hard to speak with you or it's hard to pursue you or it's hard to see Jesus. Father, we have so many things that are against us. But Father, but you are for us. Father, as your word says, if you're for us, who can be against us? So Father, may we have a confidence as we approach your word that you'll speak clearly to us. May we have a confidence in your Holy Spirit that our hearts will be prepared to hear what you say. And Father, may we be confident in our relationship with you, not from our own works, but because of Jesus. And Father, may this confidence bring us joy. And Father, may this confidence bring us perseverance. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, let me share with you uh, some, some of the longest records that I was able to find. Okay? How, how's this one? How's this one? Uh, you, you, it blew my mind. The record... For the longest marriage. You're never going to believe this. 86 years, 290 days. Can you believe that? They got married when they were like 14 and they both lived to well over 100. Isn't that amazing? 86 years. 86 years. Uh, the longest serving U.S. Marine served 43 years. That's really impressive. Served 43 years. That's really impressive. That's really impressive. Uh, today's the Super Bowl. The losing Super Bowl quarterback today will be 43 years old when he plays. Tom Brady has played for four, is 43 years old playing in a Super Bowl. Those are really impressive stats. Those are really impressive records. And why are they so impressive to us? We use, these, we use these in our own life, don't we? You've been baking that pie that way for 30 years. Wow. 
That's really impressive. Bring it over to my house later and I'll even say how more impressive it is. We've lived in the same home for, our family's lived in the same home for three generations. We say things like that. I've been driving my car for 20 years. We say that, why? Why are those kind of records so impressive to us? Why are we amazed by these big numbers? Because perseverance is hard, isn't it? It's hard to grab something and stick with it for a long time. We're sinners. We're sinners. Sinners love to abandon things when it gets hard, don't we? We're human. Humans are weak. When we hear someone was married for 86 years, 290 days, that's hard. Why is that hard? Because those are two sinners with different pet peeves, different ideas, different desires. Being a Marine is hard. Somebody stuck with it for 43 years, that's hard. Tom Brady has been hit by 300-pound linebackers for 20 years, that's hard. That's hard. Perseverance is difficult. We're sinners, it's difficult. Life in general is difficult. Much less trying to persevere in hard times is difficult. Our flesh, our bodies are, are weak. Humans are weak. So when we see numbers like that, 86 years. We see numbers like that. 43 years. We say, wow. And we say, wow, because we know that's a difficult thing to do. Perseverance is one of the hardest things. One of the hardest characteristics to live out. And so when we see these things, when we see someone persevering, it's so special to us, it's so awe-inspiring. And what we say is, when, those, when those, that couple was married for 86 years, 290 days, we say, wow, there must have been something there worth hanging on to. When we persevere in such a way, we are showing the world that what we are hanging on to must have incredible value. Have incredible value. And so, since perseverance reveals what we value most, since perseverance is a billboard, a neon sign to the world that this thing is valuable, since that is the case, faithful followers, faithful followers of Jesus will persevere. Because we have the most valuable thing in the universe. We have Jesus. And so a sign of a faithful follower is perseverance in the faith when things get difficult. And God has made it that way to reveal His glory, to reveal how valuable He is. And His people persevere. When his people hang on. And so, to gain confidence in our faith. To gain confidence in your faith. Do you want to have confidence that you are right with God through Jesus Christ? One of the ways to do that is to persevere. Is to persevere. And that's what John writes to this church. 
How do we know that we're saved? How do we deal with this group that has left us and is hollering back at us that we're not saved? How do we deal with this? How do we handle this? How do we know? He says one way you can know is persevere. Hang in there. Hang in there. So let's read this together. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Big number 2, little number 18. We're going to read the little number 27 together. It goes like this. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They, this group that left, they went out from us. But they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not, that they are, that they all are not of us. But you, you have been anointed by the Holy One. And you have all knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. Who, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us. Eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from Him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in Him. John gives us three calls for perseverance. And then he tells us how we will persevere to the end. How we will persevere to the end. The first thing he calls us to, perseverance in the last hour. Faithful followers will show perseverance in the last hour. That's how he sets the stage. He says, this is the last hour. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Why does he start this out? Well, church, we, might, we're, we get tempted to believe that because we have iPhones and because we have televisions, we have microphones, that we are, we are far and beyond different than they were 2,000 years ago. We think the church is different. Maybe church back then was harder and now we've figured it out. Or maybe we think church back then was easier and now it's just become harder in the modern world. Well, the Scripture is clear. You and I have much more in common with the church 2,000 years ago than we think. That church and Trinity Baptist Church are both in the last hour. And that sets John's stage. This is the last hour. It gives us a sense that something important is about to happen. 
that the countdown has started. What does it mean? How, how, how can that be? How can we in 2020 and this church in AD 20, how can we both be in the last hour? That doesn't make sense. How does that work? When the Bible tells us about the last hour, when the Bible mentions the last hour, the last days, the Bible usually doesn't mean that Jesus is coming back in 59 minutes. That's not what he means. Doesn't mean that Jesus is coming back next week. What they mean by the last hour is this there is nothing left in redemption history other than Jesus coming back. Jesus was already born, Jesus already lived a perfect life. Jesus already died on the cross. Jesus already rose again. Jesus already started His church. Jesus already ascended back to the Father. Jesus is already seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for His people. All that is left is for Jesus to come back. There's nothing left. This is the last hour. Think about it like this. You go to see a three-act play. The first act might be 20 minutes. The second act might be an hour. The third act might be two hours long. But if we come and say, hey, where are you in the play? You say, we're in the third act. You're not telling me that it's about to end in ten minutes. You're saying that this is the last one. This is the last one. We are in the last hour. The last act of this great redemption play. There's nothing left but for Jesus to come back. There's nothing else to be accomplished except for Jesus coming back to raise the dead, to judge the living and the dead, and to bring His people into the new heaven and new earth kingdom. That's what we're waiting on. Last hour. So, why is perseverance? John's talking about perseverance. Hang in there. Why is perseverance important for the last hour? Why is it necessary for believers, especially in the last hour, to cling to our faith, to cling to the gospel, to persevere where we are? Our enemy has only one left, one trick up his sleeve left. It's the last hour. Satan has one trick left. He can't stop the cross. It's already happened. Couldn't stop it when it was there. He couldn't stop the resurrection. He couldn't stop Jesus ascending to the right hand of the Father. He cannot destroy the church. He can't stop Jesus from coming back. There's only one thing that, that Satan can do. There's only one trick left up his sleeve. He can chip away at the perseverance of the saints so Jesus does not look valuable. He can't stop it. He can't stop the train. The freight train is on the track. It's heading towards the finish. He's heading towards the gate. It's heading toward the new kingdom, new earth. He cannot stop the train, but he can convince the people on the train to start slinging mud and making the train look less glorious. He can't stop the train, but what Satan can do is what he did 2,000 years ago. He can fill a church with phony Christians. What he says, he says, they, they went out from us believing these terrible lies, trying to deceive the church. They went out from us because they were never part of us. 
What is that? That's filling the church with phony Christians. Satan can't stop the, he couldn't stop the resurrection. But he can use this group. He can use this group of loved ones, of people who are friends. He can use this group that are phony Christians that are leaving the church. He can use them to tempt true believers to leave the church with them. Come on. Come with us. You don't got to believe that, that Jesus needs to cover you. You don't got to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Come with us. Satan can't stop the church. He can't completely destroy the church. Jesus tells us the gates of hell will not overcome his church. His church will march on. He can't stop that, but Satan can use deception to, to tempt true believers to leave the gospel. Satan can't stop the gospel. The gospel is the freight train. It's heading that way whether, whether he likes it or not. It's going there. Christian, you are going to make it to heaven whether Satan likes it or not. But what he can do is he can use false believers, he can use false teachers to tempt you to abandon the gospel or to fling mud at the gospel or to add things to the gospel, to add your preferences to the gospel. He can't stop the gospel, but he can try to convince pastors not to preach the true gospel. To avoid certain things in the Gospel. Avoid certain things in God's Word. And so John says, we're in the last act. We're in the final hour. You've got to hang fast. You've got to persevere because Satan is coming after the church. Flinging, he's convincing believers and phony Christians to fling mud at the Gospel. And we can't let that happen. You've got to persevere. You've got to hang in there. He says it this way, you know that the Antichrist is coming. There's an Antichrist that will be here on the literal last hour, right? That's what we're talking about. He, he, there, there will be something like that. But he says, right now, there are lots of little Antichrists that have come. This is the scary part. This is the scary part. Lots of little Antichrists are coming. Who's he talking about? He's talking about those men and women who sat among them, who ate with them, who at one time appeared to be followers of Jesus, and John is calling them antichrists. There's not going to be some giant devil-looking man walking through those doors and say, oh, that's the antichrist. I could see it. I understand it. That's not how our enemy works. He's too smart for that. The scary thing is that we can, we can join in the movement of the Antichrist. Even true believers can support the movement of the Antichrist by slinging mud at one another, slinging mud at the Gospel. We can partake in that. So for now, in the last hour, the people of God will be infiltrated by those Antichrist means those proclaiming a false Christ. Or those standing against Christ. And church, we need to persevere just as much as they did 2,000 years ago. Nothing in redemption history has changed. We are similar. My, my prayer is that if that church came somehow the time machine and joined us, they would hear the same type of songs. They would hear the same type of messages. They would see the same type of people. Right? That, that we are interchangeable in that way. And we need to persevere because 
there are modern American antichrists. A modern American deceptions against Christ, phony Christs threatening to infiltrate and deceive the church, the American church, and, and we know this to be true. We, they are threatening to deceive us, Trinity Baptist Church. Not just them 2,000 years ago, not this, just them down the street, not just them in San Francisco or New York, Trinity Baptist Church. Satan hates us just as much as he hated every, every other church. Antichrist, modern American antichrist. Here's a few. Here's a few that we, we must love the people, but be aware that these are antichrists against Christ. Christian liberalism is one. Christian liberalism can be defined a lot of ways. It can lean different ways in that ways. But Christian liberalism can really be defined by one idea. You could sniff out Christian liberalism by this. They deny the bodily resurrection of Jesus. Paul says the resurrection of Jesus is central to our faith. If Jesus did not rise, he says, we are of all people to be pitied. Jesus rose from the dead. He was seen by 500 of the brothers and sisters. He ate food. He was touched. He rose bodily and he says, come, all who have faith in me will receive a resurrection body like mine for eternity. It's important. It's so important. Christian liberalism tends to deny the exclusivity of Christ. We heard a, we heard a really, one of our famous people in America just over the weekend say how, oh, there can't just be one way. There's got to be a thousand ways to God. Jesus says in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. There, friends, we know the Gospel. Is there any other way for our sins to be forgiven? There's no other way. That's so dangerous. It's so easy to fall into because that seems so nice, doesn't it? That seems so nice. But it is a lie. And it is a lie that preys on people. A second kind of anti-Christ against Christ against is antinomialism. This is antinomial against the law. This is, these are people who claim to be Christians that say there's no call for holiness of the Christian life. You just come, you pray a prayer, and then you go live your life however you want and treat people however you want and cheat on your husband, cheat on your wife, steal from work. It doesn't matter how you live. Get your fire insurance and get out. Antinomialism. Jesus says that's not true. That's teaching against Christ. Jesus comes, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Those commandments aren't burdensome. And when you fall short, he doesn't come stomp on you while you're down. There's grace. Is there grace? We sing His mercy is more. That's one of our songs we sing all the time. His, my sins, they are many. His mercy is more. So we're not trying to burden people. We're trying to say how we live our lives matter. On the flip side of that, we see self-righteousness is an antichrist. You must behave before you can belong. You must behave in order to earn salvation from God. You must behave in order to earn high standing with God. That is Antichrist. That's Antichrist. In His mercy and His grace, Christian, He comes and He says, you are saved by grace through faith alone, not by your works. 
And Christian, he holds you in his hand knowing how sinful you still will be. He don't want to burden you with that kind of stuff. Antichrist, consumer Christianity. This is, this is one of the definitions of American Christianity. Consumer Christianity, where we, instead of taking Paul's theme for Christians of, of I lay my rights down, my privileges down for the good of the gospel, instead of taking Paul's call to become all things to all men, I become the weak, like weak to, to win the weak, I become like the Jew to win the Jew. I lay all my premises down for the good of the church and for the good of other people. Instead of taking Paul's call, we take Burger King's call. Have it your way. Hold the pickle, hold the lettuce, special order. Right? That's what we take. We bring that into the church and we say, well, I want, it's got to be this way, this preference, this preference, this preference, this preference. And we hold that and we say that this is as important as the gospel. Are we not tempted to do that, church? Yeah. It's Antichrist. And believing Christians are tempted with these things, aren't we? We're tempted with these. Believing, saved Holy Spirit-filled Christians can prop up these spirits of the Antichrist. Christian nationalism is an Antichrist. It says being a citizen of America is equal to being a citizen of the Kingdom of God. We've heard this for the last year. You can't be a Christian and vote for Trump. You can't be a Christian and vote for Biden. I've heard both. It's like we don't believe we can... Yeah, Maybe it's a mistake to vote for Trump. Maybe it's a mistake to vote for Biden. But can you be a believer and make mistakes? Can we have grace for other believers? The Gospel says you are first and foremost citizens of the Kingdom of Heaven. Paul says this in Ephesians, consequently, you are no longer foreigners or strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people. And also members of His household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus Christ Himself as the, as the chief cornerstone. In Him, the whole building, no matter who you voted for, no matter your mistakes, whatever, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And then maybe the most destructive right now, or the most popular right now, Antichrist in the American church is the prosperity gospel. Spirit of the Antichrist. Jesus, prosperity gospel says this, Jesus died to bring you wealth and health and prosperity in this life. Bethel Church is one of the most popular presenters of this false gospel. And their pastor recently said, I have no room for a theology in which people, in which Christians can be sick. I don't understand. I don't, I don't understand that. I don't understand how you can read the Bible, and see followers of Jesus, see followers of God, see believers all throughout the Bible who are devastatingly sick, and you see somebody like Job that says, though you slay me, still I will praise you. 
You see, Paul say, I have a thorn in my flesh. You can't, I mean, you just, you just can't do it. I can't do it as a pastor going to visit you in the hospital with that kind of theology. By the way, pastors who say that, we're going to get sick one day. Paul tells us in Romans, if you follow Jesus, you have an easy life. Look at Paul. Paul tells us in Romans, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Do all these things show that we are not with Jesus? Paul says, as it is written, for your sake, God, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. that good news? That's good news. But last days, last hour, these kinds of things will be bombarding the church. We must persevere in the last hour because our, our enemy is devious. And if you're not saved, he doesn't want you saved. And if you are saved, he wants you flinging mud at the glory of the gospel. We see this. My favorite passage for this is 2 Timothy 4.3. He says, for the time is coming. Last hour, 2 Timothy 4.3. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. You know that feeling when you've got that itch in your back and you can't quite scratch it, Right? And then somebody finally comes and scratches that for you. Oh, that feels really good. That's what we're talking about, that, that our flesh and our enemy is going to put itch and itch in our ears, and we just want it scratched. And so I, I want these, to, I, our flesh just longs for, for the things of the world and the desires of the flesh, probably all these things we talked about, and just want to itch that. And so I, don't, I, want, I, want, I want teachers, I want books, I want guys on TV, I want these guys to tell me what I want to hear. But the gospel isn't here to scratch our ears. The gospel's job is to do surgery, remove our old ears, and give us new ears that can spiritually hear God. Give us new ears that longs to hear the unadulterated Word of God. <clears throat> so we must persevere in the last hour. What does perseverance in the last hour require? Perseverance in the last hour requires perseverance in the Gospel. Perseverance in the Gospel. He says, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. Verse 24. Go back to what you heard at the beginning. What did they hear at the beginning? When you were saved, what did you hear? You heard that Jesus is the Son of God. and He died on the cross to cover your sins. He gave you His righteousness. And He couldn't stay dead because He's God in flesh. He rose again three days later conquering sin, death, and hell. All His enemies are now under His feet. And He looks to sinners. He says, come, be saved by My grace through your faith alone and not your works. He says, I am coming back very soon. And one of these days I will be here and I will bring you, the faithful, into a new heaven and a new earth. That's what you heard. That's the beginning. That's what this church heard. That's what the foundation of what that church was. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's the good news. Paul says that the gospel is of first importance. 
Go back to what you heard at the beginning. If you had a hundred words to write to your friend across the seas, your friend is begging, tell me about Jesus. You only had space for a hundred words, hopefully, that God would use to save this man or this woman. What would you write? That's the gospel. I bet you. It better not, we better not be writing Trump's name or Biden's name. We better not be writing color carpet. We better not be writing style of worship. We write, we write Jesus Christ, the righteous Son of God, died for our sins. And three days later he rose from the dead because death cannot kill God in flesh. And he appeared to over 500 people, some of whom wrote about his experiences and he is victorious over all his enemies. And now in his grace and mercy, he invites sinners to repent and live forever by his grace through faith and not their works. And we are in the last hour and Jesus will soon return to judge the living and the dead and bring his people in a new heaven and a new earth. So persevere in the last hour. Persevere in the gospel. What you've heard from the beginning. What you've heard from the beginning. The devil cannot undo the truth of the gospel, but he can tempt us to abandon it or mutate it or chop it and slice it or break it apart or add to it. He says these men and women, they, were, they are liars. They are deceivers. They're telling you that Jesus is not the Son of God, that He is not the Chosen One, that He's not the Messiah, that you don't need your sins covered. They're liars. They were denying the Father and the Son in these ways. So how does this happen? Let's not, let's not presume falsely that one day at that church 2,000 years ago, the preachers came and said, hey, we're going to change what we're doing around here. Jesus, I don't even want to say it. The preacher didn't get up here and just cut and slice the gospel one day. He didn't go from gospel preacher to false teacher one day. How does it work? It's a gentle shift. Sunday after Sunday, it is whispered false gospels on Wednesday. It is preferences taking priority over gospel. It is unqualified leaders becoming teachers and preachers in churches. It is church members not being steeped in Scripture and not taking notice or church members not being courageous enough to stand up and say, you're preaching false doctrine. It is, a, it is removing the things from the Gospel or adding other things to the Gospel. Yeah, Jesus is great. All those things are good, but you also, you also got to think this way. You got to vote this way. You got to dress this way. You got to talk this way. You got to eat this way. You got to drink this way. Putting that in the rank of things of first importance. It's like this. It's a small movement. Judah turned one. And one of our decorations for our our Zoom birthday party, Zoomer, woohoo, Zoom birthday party, but is she put 13 pictures of him when he was born, and then each month, and, and when you're with him all the time, you don't really notice, right? You don't notice unless you think about it, but looking at those pictures from his birth to now, you go, that little boy changed. The same is true of a church. We come and we sit, and we might hear, hear troubling things, and they're going to come from people that we might trust and we might love, and they might come from this pulpit. 
And it might be just a little bit troubling. We say, oh, I don't, it's too much work to talk about that or work through that. It's too much work. It's embarrassing. It's all, this, all these things. And it's, it's little things going on on phone calls and text messages that are troubling. And it's little by little churches move away from the gospel. So how do we persevere in the gospel? John says, be confident in the gospel. First thing you must do is be confident in the gospel. He tells them, I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. You know it. Church, you know the gospel. You know the gospel. He says, you don't need anyone to come teach you more about the gospel because there's nothing more about it. He says, you don't need anyone to teach you. You've got it. You know it. The Holy Spirit's in you, proclaiming it to your heart, to your flesh. You know it. Be confident in it. Grab it with both hands. And so now the question is, how do we grow confident in the Gospel? We have an enemy that wants to snatch the Gospel from your mind. We have an enemy that wants you to think about other things other than the Gospel. We have an enemy that wants you to believe that Christianity is about moving on past the Gospel. The Gospel is Christianity 101. You're old enough to go to 102. No, we must go back to what we've heard at the beginning. The Gospel, the good news of Jesus. We must meditate on it. We must preach it to ourselves. We must eat it. We must sleep with it. We must drink it. We must talk about it. We must text it. We must pour it into our children. We must preach it from the pulpit. Spurgeon, one of my favorite quotations of all time, Spurgeon to other pastors, he says, Preach Christ or go home. Are you with me? Preach Christ or go home. Preach Christ from the Old Testament. Preach Christ from the New Testament. Why? Because we are Gospel people. We're Gospel people. We must preach Christ. So we must live our lives like we are a pilot. Every day you must live your life like you're a pilot. When the pilot goes in to fly these 747s, he gets in the cockpit and he has to make 178 pre-flight checks. All those buttons and things, he's got to make 178 of those. I counted them all up last night. We must live our lives every time we wake up. We must make gospel checks. Jesus died for me. Jesus loves me. Holy Spirit is in, in me, dwelling in me. That He's cast my sins as far as the east is from the west. That He loves me, promises He will get me there. He promises there's nothing that is armed against me will stand because Jesus is with me and Jesus is for me. We must preach that to ourselves every single day. Don't leave the house before you preach this to yourself. That's how we persevere in the Gospel. And we persevere in the Gospel. We persevere in the last days, the last hour, because we, pers- because we have perseverance in the church. They went out from us, but they were not of us. Verse 19, For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. Evidence of salvation is perseverance to the end. And perseverance to the end includes perseverance with the church. Says they went out from us, but they were never with us. And if they had been with us, they would have stayed with us. 
God intends His people to be His Gospel people. And Gospel people are gathered people. We need one another desperately to persevere in the last hour. You don't need me to teach you something new about the Gospel. Maybe you're not saved and you do. But if you're saved, you don't need me to teach you something new about the Gospel. If I add anything to it, you need a new pastor. But we need each other to constantly remind us of the Gospel. We need one another to build us up in our perseverance, to build us up in our confidence. We need one another to set up Gospel guardrails. If I'm a Christian at home in my closet and I never see another believer, I am scared for my soul. When we are persevering in the Gospel, we will be led by the Spirit to where the Gospel is displayed most clearly. The church. This is where He saved sinners. This is how He saves sinners. Proclamation of the Gospel by the church. That's how He's decided to do it. So Gospel people will find Gospel people. Gospel people gathering together to hear the Gospel proclaimed. To sing Gospel songs to one another. To pray Gospel prayers for one another. To love one another with elements of the Gospel. With love and forgiveness and patience and peace and long-suffering. To hold one another accountable for Gospel living. And so evidence of antichrist, of phony Christ against Christ, evidence of phony Christians are not persevering with the church to the end. That should make us very, that should not make us confident in our relationship with Christ if we never darken the door of a church. We should not be confident. So does this mean, what does he mean by us? Let's be real clear, right? Because does he mean if you leave Trinity Baptist Church then you're an antichrist? No, of course not. Of course not. Just about every single one of us came from some other church. Right? That's not what we're talking about. Though we should take leaving a church very seriously because we are a gospel persevering people. But no, he's talking about us as in the gospel believing church of Christ. So let's finish this way. How can we persevere? My goodness, pastor, I'm a sinner. I'm weak. How in the world can I do these things? John says we persevere because we are anointed unto eternal life. He says all these people left and they're teaching false doctrine and leaving the church. They're not one of us, but you have been anointed by the Holy One. That's the best news you will hear all day. You've been anointed by the Holy One. Anointed. That comes from anointing oil. They used to anoint kings with anointing oil. They pour it over their forehead. We anoint sick people. I've got some anointing oil in there. What is that? Is it magic? It's not magic. It's to show who has been chosen by God. This king has been chosen by God for His purposes. You, church, have been chosen. Anointed for eternal life. Whomever God chooses will get there. Are you with me? How will you persevere? You've been chosen. You've been anointed. And not with some frilly, smell-good oil that I could get at the store. You haven't been chosen 
by that kind of oil, anointed with that kind of oil, you've been anointed by the blood of the Holy One. How will you persevere? He has promised to get you there. How will He get you there? You are filled with God, the Holy Spirit. You have been anointed not by your pastor, not by your works, not by your spouse, not by your parents. You have been anointed by the Holy One. His blood has covered you and His blood anoints you by saying, this one is mine. Christian, you will persevere in the last hour. And it'll feel sometimes like it's too much to handle. And it'll feel sometimes, as the song says, we are prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. And sometimes you're going to elevate preferences to the gospel level. We all do it. And sometimes you're going to be tempted to add to the gospel. All these things, you're going to be tempted that way. And you're going to say, oh, it's so difficult. But you will persevere to the end because you have been anointed and chosen. Paul tells us this exact thing. Paul, he, he lists a laundry list of his sufferings. How did Paul persevere? Think about this guy. He says he has, had, he has received stripes with a whip above measure in prisons more frequently, faced death more often from the Jews. He faced death five times. He also received 40 stripes minus one. Five times he was, he was whipped 39 times. One time, uh, he was three times beaten with rods. He was stoned to, for death once. He was shipwrecked. He spent a day and a night in the water. He's been hungry and thirsty. He's been abandoned by all his friends while he was imprisoned. All these things. How can Paul persevere? Paul, how can you do it? And he writes this in chains after all this torment. He says, I have learned in whatever situation to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to, to abound in ev any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Christian, you will persevere because Christ is with you and you're His anointed and He will strengthen you. Worship team, will you come up and join me? Church, we are in the last hour. We have had to persevere through a lot this last year. A lot this last year. But we must take heart because perseverance is not a glitch in the system. Suffering is not a glitch in the system. Hard times are not a glitch in the system. Hard times are allowed by the Father so the church can display to the world what is most precious. So persevere in the Gospel. Hang on to it. Preach it to yourself. Persevere with the church. Persevere in this group of sinners. Persevere. Reveal Christ as most valuable. And you can do it, not because you are strong, but because you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. His anointed, anointed, chosen for eternity and eternal life with Him. Will you stand with us and let's praise Him once more.